Inspireites. Welcome back to the Den of Inspire. Warm yourself by our flame education. You could have you could have rhymed inspire and fire just then. Yeah. I would have felt too much like one of those like The Crypt Keeper? <laughs> Not the Crypt Keeper, but an erotic Crypt Keeper? Too much too much like one of those teen fire by night shows you'd see on tbn you know oh yeah okay. too, a little too christian christian teen show i think that we we would do well to to introduce some christian teen show i've tried yeah i did you ever meet a guy named sam aitson i don't think so no oh so sam was a guy who uh he's been in a lot of local films he was in zero charisma i could have swore he did something for P, uh, pwr for a little bit hmm. but um I actually had a, a character that I tried to introduce who was an ex-Christian child star. Oh. And he'd come out with his aging mother, and he would go in the ring. And oh, he would... I, I remember on a, you mentioned this on one of your podcasts. Yeah. yeah. He was supposed to come out and sing, like, you know, the, the hit that made him famous. Though he was, like, very aged. Not, <laughs> he was no longer 13. Man. And then he would just get his ass kicked and, like, get really unscrupulous, which would violate his Christian code. He was supposed to be... The ex-child star heel, but I never got to do shit with that because you, we were just talking about this. It's mm -hmm. not always easy to get people to commit to your ideas. Yeah, uh, man, but that's another like Max Meehan classic. What, okay, so let me put you over here, Max. Oh, okay. One, one of the things I like about you as a booker and a promoter is that you have like a creative voice and that you have like themes and motifs and stuff like that. And I was I was saying during the break that like these characters, like the Hollywood Strangler, the Hollywood Knives. The Red Scare, the Great Depression, you know, they all fit in, inside this kind of like, um, I don't know how, how I should put universe. it. Universe. This universe, yeah. They have this kind of shared, and it's very much like, it's like an auteur thing. It's like, you know, Max Meehan is this guy with these interests. You know, we're, I'm sitting here in your house, and it's just covered in phantasmagoria, you know. <laughs> it's just covered in like monster stuff, Frankensteins, you know, uh, old old movie posters and stuff, and like... Inspire Pro has this has this strain to a lot of its story, a streak to a lot of the storylines that reflects that. It reflects your voice. It reflects your person. Um, I think that's awesome. I I really like the idea that like bookers are artists and they're writers, you know, and um, and obviously you know the, to, to a different degree for different shows or whatever. But I just I just like the idea that like each show is, is reflects a flavor of like a person of a universe of a personality, of a mentality, you know. Well, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. uh, even just hearing the word auteur in the same sentence as my name or what I do is, is crazy, so I, I'm honored. Everyone um, always gets mad at the word auteur. I love it. You know? I love it, but I love it because I, you rarely know people who actually know what it fucking means. So people call a lot of stupid-ass people auteurs. It's, you know, it's it's thrown around too, too frequently. Mm. But, um... As someone who has his hand in almost every facet of what's going on in that company, yeah, I definitely feel it. I mean, I juggle. I wear a lot of hats, you mm -hmm. know. So that that does mean something to me. And yeah, man, I, you know, I wish that I got to do more crazy stuff. But as we were kind of discussing, it's hard to find people who will commit to stuff like that. Yeah, I so so I uh, I was booking PWR for a couple of years, and. Um, co-booking, I guess you would say, me and, and Chris, you know, Luigi. Um, and yeah, it was all about buy-in. Like, you know, there was, there was a, you know, we were always trying to try different stuff or whatever. I was, I was in the max position. It was kind of like, 
I was Max Meehan and uh, Chris was Justin Bissonette. Mm -hmm. You know, that was, I mean, I don't know if that's 100%, but like it was a similar dynamic to that where... This, I guess, just to kind of shed light on the process, Mm -hmm. I'm the guy that comes up with arcs that are laid out for a year or more. Right, yeah. And uh, I'll come with him to the card, I'll come with him uh, with a card, basically, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, periodically. And this uh, definitely will insert his flavor mm-hmm. into it because I really love the idea of our shows feeling like a poo-poo platter. I want them to kind of have a little offering of everything because yeah. I think that's what keeps shows fresh. I agree. If yeah. a, every show is just the same fucking thing over and over again, it's just like hitting somebody over the head. It gets dull. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go out to San Antonio and see a lot of really bad wrestling, a lot of really bad cards where they're just basically doing what the, the, the really typical... Uh, style of pro wrestling mm-hmm. it's just the same style the same arc the same thing over and over and over again yeah yeah what i love about this and i is that he has his preferences i have mine mm-hmm. and we kind of he kind of peppers his stuff into mine i would say that uh a lot of the stuff that i bring to the table a lot of the stuff the goofier stuff at least is is definitely mine uh this is not a fan of a lot of the silly stuff though he will often go I'm mad at you because that worked, you know. Um, uh, that's always a good feeling. <laughs> yeah, uh, ACH Albert <clears throat> was always really critical of that stuff too. I remember the last time we de- we re-debuted uh, Depression, he came back to the last show, mm-hmm. and when he came through the curtain, the crowd went nuts, and he was like, "Oh, congratulations! It took seven years, but you finally got someone to pop for him." And I'm like, "People always pop for that guy, man. People love the zanier stuff." And I think it's because you look at a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people get into wrestling out of a sense of ego they want to be a rock star mm-hmm. they're not into the idea of necessarily doing something that isn't isn't them or doesn't echo them or that may debase them a bit you know yeah um, i mean there's a lot of very, guys are very protective of their you know yeah and i i blame i i talked about this a while ago how uh the one thing that i think really bummed me out about professional wrestling is that there was a period where you started to see the pervasive influence of mma Mm. and it was just a bunch of guys in black trunks kicking the shit out of each other and it's just to me that's really boring and I I think a lot of people also really do connect with wrestling when it was really colorful from their childhood oh totally yeah Yeah. I mean at this point I mean it's 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 fair to say that like when people I mean you know wrestling is you know it sounds bad but it's it's kind of a niche thing it's a niche interest Um, and uh, if you ask someone about wrestling uh, they're either they're either gonna say they're probably gonna say Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan, you know what I mean? Like that's the first place where people uh, their minds go to, and it's all about the colorful characters. Uh, those guys, you know, their work rate was you know uh, subterranean. You know, they they would just punch and and uh, and like uh, you know sort of uh, vamp, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's awesome. That works. Um, you know, and uh, the MMA thing. You know, in Japan they had Enokiism. They had, you know, uh, Antonio Enoki. Do you know? This? Yeah, Enoki was like, yeah, I've, you know, I was a pro wrestler for a long time and was a huge star. I feel like the way the business is gonna go is that it's all gonna be MMA shit. And uh, he would like, he would send his wrestlers uh, into these like shoot fights. You know, uh, Yuji, poor Yuji Nagata was gonna be a huge star, and they put him into a shoot fight where he just got. Uh, destroyed in like two minutes and it was like okay well this guy's credibility is shot now yeah you know um usually the god is still owns he's still awesome um those as a spectacle are hilarious anecdotally but i think a lot of the time they're pretty boring to watch 
Yeah, I mean, I see it. I see the appeal, but it, I think I just think it is a very specific flavor, you know, and it should be used uh, judiciously. And you know, I do I do see the appeal. I mean, like think about uh, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport. You know, yeah. that kind of like that's a card of like uh, of all in that vein. Although there's totally variety within the card too, um, and there's definitely interest in it. It is kind of cool, but. You know, we gotta keep the fucking we gotta keep the personalities. You know, yeah, the black absolutely. trunks thing. I know? I definitely fight for that. I think yeah. that there's certainly space for for the big Haas guys knocking the hell out of each other. I'm a big fan of Bruiser Brody. I love that stuff. Yeah, hell yeah. But I think if it's just the same thing over and over and over again, like you know, I think uh, like I I always say like I'm a huge fan of the you know. 95 96 era of wcw where you had the dungeon of doom and dude you know you had so many different weird things occurring in that entire universe so you would watch a pay-per-view and one match would be so different from the other it still had value it mm -hmm. was still a great match uh, as opposed to like where you see wwe a few years ago placing like certain matches on the card as the cooldown. I think the, yeah, cool, the cooldown is such a bad idea. That's horrible. It's like we're gonna kill our fans. Mm -hmm. We're gonna we're gonna fucking kill this crowd. This crowd's hot. You know what? Take it down a notch so you don't get exhausted. That was let them get exhausted. Yeah. You know? I don't yeah, I mean like oh although, you know, I think part of it is, you know, keeping a lean card or whatever. I, one of the questions I asked you guys for this this whole segment is how many how many matches should be in a card. I feel I feel eight is pretty sweet for me. I'm right there with you. Um, we've done more than that, and I used to get crap. I remember Ricky Starks would go, "Can you please stop doing this?" And I'd have to kind of go, "Look, man, I appreciate the fact that you're in this business and you are where you are, but I'm trying to make money at the bar. Mm. So sometimes like our shows would kind of." yawn and go on yeah i never felt like people were getting bored and splitting mm -hmm. but the thing is is that sometimes the, you know there's a pragmatism to having a longer show because if you're in a venue and you're paying for that space man sometimes you need to make money for the concession stand and yeah that's a fair point you have people stranded there and buying beer <laughs> buying food that's what you want you want people to patronize the venue you know or yeah. buy tickets hell the longer your gate is open, the the longer yeah, more the walk more people are stuff. walking up. You know, yeah. it's just people are always telling me like, "Do you know what you're? Do you know what you're doing?" Like, I sat at a goddamn club door for like almost twenty years, man. You know, I know what I'm doing. There's some carryover. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, man. Yeah, there. I've been, you know, Inspire has never killed me. I, you know, as a fan, there was never a show that just murdered my. You, you can feel it though. I, you know, Wrestle Circus had and PWR also had shows that were like five hours long. Yeah, and it was like this is a human rights abuse. ACW you know? once had a six-hour oh. show. Dude, yeah, six-hour show. They just have eighteen thing. matches on the card because they because fucking twenty carloads showed up unannounced and were like, can we get on a scramble? Yeah, what's gonna happen to ACW? Do you think? Uh, I hope they fucking. God damn it! All right. Uh, <laughs> I dude, I I called out Darren Childs, uh, yeah. and I've got a bunch of heat you probably just, for that. Man, you are just you are a flaming sword of justice. Am I a heat guy now? I don't know. Like uh, when I see someone that is like way the fuck out of line, no. and, and it's like in my sphere of influence, I feel like saying something no, totally man, reasonable. Too, too often people get away with shit. That's interesting to hear. Yeah, but um, you know what? We've picked on enough people, I think. Let's uh, let's try to. Let's I was try hoping to... I could bury some more people while yeah. while we're getting into it. Yeah, I don't want you to get lynched when you step out the door. 
Um, I've got a bounty on my head. I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna come back you're to get wrestling. Shot on in heavy metal or something. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, those guys have been great. I love those guys. Yeah. And I hope they love me. I think they love me. I think I think I think I like to think that I have a kinship with Dylan Dunbar. Yeah. We didn't start off in the best place, but I think that I think that we get along now. It seems like there's a there's an alliance. There's a yeah. there's an understanding between heavy metal and Spire, which I think are probably the only two indies uh, that are still booking me. So yeah. you've got that in common. I'm sure that I'm sure that'll kick up as time goes by and we get back to regular life. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to fucking stick my head out there and make the drives and stuff. So you had a question for you were you when you came in I was talking about how we were doing these these firesides and I mentioned that mm-hmm. I had just done one with Stevo. Yeah, yeah. And you said you had a question. <laughs> you want me to ask the question? Yeah, dude. Uh, the gloves are off, man. Okay. I pro- I will answer any question that you have. As frankly as possible, um, I'm not really concerned with getting in trouble because what's someone going to do? Come steal my Night of the Living Dead book? Like, fuck <laughs> off, you know? Damn. They might steal some of these pets, some of these cats. Yeah. I got a, I got a, a pit bull in my lap right now taking a nap. <laughs> it's very cozy. Waffles is often our co-pilot for the people that don't know. I have a pit bull who is usually in the diner booth where, we're, where we are recording, and she is usually cozied up to whoever is talking to me. This is sweet. I have not pet a dog in such a long time. She's awesome. It's, it's great. But, um, yeah, okay, so here's the question you were asking about. Um, I, I, was, I, I thought that uh, the Stevo, you know, thing in this podcast was a worked shoot. What do you mean? What? Um, I, cause, so like, this is all, uh, you know, this podcast is all everyone just breaking kayfabe and, and shooting and, yeah. and being up front. I thought that y'all were working an angle where whenever you mentioned Steve, you'd be like, yeah, but he was never happy with us. Um, I thought that was building into a wrestling angle where in the show, Steve-O is mad at Inspire. You know, like that's that's his that's his arc right now, you know, so to speak. Uh, it it is his arc, but I think that arc exists because there there's uh, it's is it based it's, on it's a true story in, 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 in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we've always given Steve-O opportunities to shine. Yeah. I think we have tremendous faith in him, and I think that he's a great wrestler. Mm-hmm. But I love Steve-O. Yeah, me too. But oftentimes, I don't. I don't, he's just rarely ever satisfied with what he's gotten, I think, because it doesn't always necessarily yield uh, bigger or better things. And, and I think we touch upon that with, in his episode, which will probably be released before yours. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what y'all talked about, so I guess yeah, I'll find out. Yeah, you'll find out. Yeah. But I I feel like Steve, Steve is inter- interesting in that I really do feel like he is very dedicated to he wants that contract at some point down the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think he's really concerned with his visibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, not always, I don't know, when we talked about great stuff he had done, it was always just this name, or this name, or this name. And and I think it kind of hurt my feelings, because I feel like he had done a lot of things that weren't necessarily in that scope. Mm-hmm. I think he's had a lot of really good matches with like the Guevara's or the Palmers. I think that hardcore match he had with Matthew Palmer was yeah. really gay. It was a great match, but I, I felt like in in some respect there wasn't maybe a lot of gratitude to toward Matt for what he did in that match. Cause, oh really? Man, Matt oh. knocked the shit out of himself in that match. Yeah. You know, and that, that kind of I think I was kind of hurt on Matt's behalf, perhaps. Um, 
Hmm. But yeah, I just I never felt. I mean, and there 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 have been times where where Stevo has confronted me backstage, or off to the side, and just been like, "Why am I not getting this? Why am I not getting that?" Yeah, you know? man, that's that's a tough. That's tough. He really wants yeah. he really wants a run at the main title yeah. and to be at the top and to be you know the face of the company. But mm-hmm. sometimes people, sometimes people are better utilized. Uh, I felt like Steve reached a, a, a point of popularity where he could make people and he could make other titles yeah, yeah not necessarily putting them at the top i mean some guys don't need a belt you know steve you know? steve was always great in the chase you know what i mean yeah i mean i i hope he doesn't think i'm pigeonholing him there you know what i mean but yeah. um yeah to me i loved steve you know i i like i was a i was a fan for you know before i was involved with you guys and uh i was telling you earlier like the ma- one of the matches that really stuck with me was the one where Guevara beats him uh, with a knee to the back of the head. Oh, yeah. And it's like fucking William Wallace at the end of Braveheart where Steve is like, no, and he just gets clobbered in the back and is just killed. And it's like tragic. People were crying. Yes. You know. Uh, there were there, there was one plant in the audience, but there were actually people who were livid and crying and upset. Yeah. And that's like a proud moment for me. Yeah. You know, when you elicit that sort of emotion, I think Steve... Steve-O really kind of looked at that as being this moment where he was kind of thrown under the bus. But in reality, we created a moment that really elicited raw emotion from the crowd. Oh, dude, And yeah. instead of seeing that victory, he just looks at it very black and white as a loss on paper, which isn't, like that's, I said, that's this, not isn't, how it works. this isn't real. Dude, you, you know? can you can get way more over on a loss than a win. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, oh, absolutely. That's That's been my philosophy forever is like, you know, yeah, losses are where the characters are made, you know, and, and the, you know, that's where, that's where you get over. Like, to me, like, when you see someone take a heartbreaking loss, like he did to Sammy Guevara, like, my sympathy and my heart was with that guy going forward for the rest of time. I was really perturbed by the, I, I agree with you. I think, there was at one point where Steve went over to Wrestle Circus and he was holding a title of ours, I believe, at the time, and he basically got killed in a matter of minutes. And mm. while well, he was he was kind of murdered by uh, by um, Lance Archer. Okay. Yeah. There's no certainly no there's certainly no negativity there. I mean, and it's it's feasible that you know he could kill kill somebody. <laughs> um, I, I didn't feel like that that was something that should have happened there. You know, I, I don't feel like we've ever put Steve in a position where we just fucking grind him out and kill him in a, a matter of minutes. Like, yeah, he's always felt important. Yeah, uh, absolutely. He ta- he kind of kvetched about his loss to Dalton in that, that title match he had with him, the Inspire Pro title oh, match. Yeah. And he was, he was unhappy about that. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that in that match, I felt like it dragged something... It's not always just... I think a lot of people have trouble looking at how one thing affects them and not everybody. Yeah. the bigger picture. To you, me... you got to play for the team. He dragged something out of Dalton in that match that, yeah. that made him uh, important because Dalton was moving toward face status at that point. So it, it was a match that needed to be really fought and storied, and we got that. And even though Steve-O uh, didn't necessarily win... Mm-hmm. Uh, he still looks strong in that match. Yeah, people didn't look at it and go, "Oh, Steve, that fucking bum." He that guy sucks. He wasn't <laughs> a Brooklyn brawler. Yeah, <laughs> you know? dang, man, I, I really liked the uh, the Andy Dalton. Speaking of inf- influences on my stuff, uh, Andy Dalton's uh, face turn. Yeah, man, uh, that was one that Tag cave. that might be my favorite Inspire moment. Um, is the Andy Dalton face turn at Tag Cade. the whole Tag Cade yeah. arc that show? 
I loved that the whole thing. I was really proud of that shit. Yeah, and I, I think that one really like showed like the strength of like really deliberate booking, and the show itself was one story arc that was connected yeah. with a huge payoff. Don't get to do that awesome. much. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, that was something that really made me happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, you get so that's the thing, man. Is you get you know losing is not bad uh, to me. No. You know, I think losing is an important part of any wrestler's diet and it's a part of the journey. Yeah. You know? Totally. You yeah. look at but you know, you look at guys like you just mentioned Inoki. I mean, how interesting is he as This a character? motherfucker never lost. No, I mean and and he's not really that fun to watch in my opinion, you know? I mean, he's he's interesting to study. Yeah. But I don't I don't ever find myself going, man, I'm going to fucking grind one out of this Anoki match ever, you know? <laughs> grind one out. Um, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, nobody's ever just like, yeah, like, you know, my character's based on Antonio Anoki. He's, <laughs> he's just fucking awesome. He kills everybody. Actually, people do say that. People <laughs> do say shit like that to yeah, me. Yeah, my, my character is like a badass. Like, he's like kind of like a heel, but also kind of a face. People will come <laughs> to me and go... I want to be the Shibata of Inspire Pro, and I'm just like, why? Dude. You just, it's just you just trying to get over, and like you know, first of all, you ain't the workhorse that guy is. My gimmick is that I don't sell pallet drivers. Oh uh, my god, it's silly. Yeah, it's like, I, I just, uh, I just want to get, I, I just want to get in there and kill everyone, and I want everybody's valet to suck my dick. That's basically what Sounds I've had. Good. People have actually pitched things like that to me. I want, I want. To have a, I hate it when people pitch romance angles with people. That oh, are, dude, it's the worst. Oh boy, because uh, it it it's so self serving. Totally, yeah. It's all it always comes from a weird place. Um, I think that's why I like you, Dan. Uh, <laughs> you're a smart person who is also uh, in the business. You run into a lot of people. I don't give a fuck if this offends anybody. You run into a lot of boneheads in this Sometimes. business. You know. Yeah, a lot that's, of jocks. That's true. I, you know, I've I've had a lot of good experiences for the most part. I have too. I'm not saying everybody's a dummy, but man, there are a lot of dummies. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that wrestlers are unfortunately a subset of a larger group known as people, and uh, you know, <laughs> there's just there's there's just a you're bunch of very, idiots. You're being very generous. Yeah. Um, I, you know, if you sp- I, I, my thing is I, I can't help but fall in love with, with all the wrestlers if I spend any time with them, you know? Not romantically, but I mean, like, yeah. platonically, like, if I, if I fucking am in a car load with, with, like, three dudes that I don't know, by the end of that day, like, they're my buddies and I love them, you know? I think it, I think you've also kind of been spoiled, though. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't. I don't think that you've had to really endure a lot of the really horrible. Like you've never. I've had been, a kind of privileged kind of position. Yeah, dude, you've never you know? been in RCW where yeah. Hernandez is making Gonna jokes bully about you and shit. Yeah. yeah, he's not like making jokes about ra- raping the young boy in the bathroom stall or something, which is shit I've seen. I mean, like yeah. I was backstage in an RCW show and they were fucking hazing people. Yeah, and I was just I've like, heard. This, this sucks. I don't want to have anything to do with anything like this ever. Yeah, you know, there was some gnarliness with ACW, but. Even then, most of those guys are great, you know, to be honest. I think there's a lot of there's, silliness. There's some shitbirds in there, but there's a lot of great dudes. There is a very clubhouse feel to that yeah. that company, I think. But I, 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 I like to... There are things that happen that, of course, I don't approve of, but I think for the most part it does have kind of a familial vibe, which I think is good. There's a casualness, but yeah. I don't always think it was to their benefit. I hope that, like, those guys... I, I, I hope that ACW, like, continues in spirit somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't think that, you know... Sorry, I don't think Darren Child should be allowed to fucking put on shows anymore. I think he's a scumbag. I think he's an abuser. Fuck him. Um, he was a bad booker, too, but that's another story. Um, but, uh... But he, the, books, he, the, books the like a, he books like a cult leader, kind of. 
Some I'm iffy books at all, though. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the truth was, man, the last couple of years, it seemed like this motherfucker wasn't paying attention and everyone was just he doing whatever. He didn't care. Yeah. And if you, it, it was basically like, by the boys, for the boys. Yeah. And just letting people Which is do... A, it's a double-edged sword. I you feel can't, like... You can't just let people do whatever they want to do because it doesn't nudge them out of their comfort zone. True. Yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword because I think when you let the fucking when you do let the the inmates run the asylum, you do get shit that you wouldn't get elsewhere. Some of that shit is terrible, and some of that shit is great. Yeah. Um, and that was always the experience of an ACW show. It was really uneven. You would see stuff that was like really raw and brilliant, um, and then you'd see stuff that was just like a complete fucking shame. And there'd be like, oh my god, there were so many botches that just like destroyed wrestling forever. We're just like. <laughs> Like, like the referee would would count three and the guy didn't kick out for some reason, but the match had to keep going so that they like there'd be a botched ref shot spot on every show where it would just be like ah oh, that shit's fake and uh, you know like somebody would be like wow this seems really fake to me like out loud and everyone would be like oh yeah this is a big joke um god damn it I mean that's just I don't well, know. If you didn't I don't know, know whose fault that is. If you didn't know that coming in, then well, yeah. But know. it's don't it's don't ask, don't tell. It's yeah. just it's literally like yeah, we're all in on this, but just like let me pretend, you know, let me believe, <laughs> you know, just don't fucking yank, yeah. you know. I mean, although you know, people people love yanking the curtain back to a certain extent, but they want to preserve the mystery. And the problem is, is that they're like a kid. The fans are. They're like a kid. Like if you if you let them have a jar full of cookies, they'll eat all of them. It's not necessarily good for them. No. But they do want to do it. And so the fans want to see everything behind the scenes, but they also benefit from the mystery. So you you have to fucking set it's, the line. It's definitely a lot a lot like the Santa myth in some ways. Yeah. 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 You know, <laughs> everybody kind of knows it's everybody kind of knows it's bullshit, but there's still some sort of. Um, Wait, what are you saying about Santa right now? <laughs> uh, so how some... about the Easter Bunny? What, we, we what about it? the Easter Bunny? <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's like, uh, you know, there's still something to the, the the ritual of it that makes it so special, so so precious. I mean, it is a cultural ritual at the, at the, at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, it's, an, it's an opportunity for people to go out and do something and suspend their disbelief and really just kind of, uh, kind of share with, People that it that they don't even know, you know. Yeah. You get to like lose your mind with strangers. Dude, yeah. There's there's a lot of like what I think is genuine magic in that, you know. Yeah. Ritualistic chaos magic or something. It's, you know, it's, it's occurring. It's also, it's also like Halloween in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's it's a special time. It's like a special time at the end of your week where you get to go out and be someone different in a different world where there are different rules. Yeah. You know? That's what I always love about Halloween is that it is more about charity and there's a, there's a, there's definitely a charity about wrestling where everybody's just kind of like screaming and insulting <laughs> each other and letting these two guys in the ring kind of kill each other instead of you going out to the parking lot to take care of business. <laughs> it's you know? it sublimates aggression. Absolute you know? it's absolute catharticism. Yeah. So And the best part is is that, you know, uh, you can you can scream at them and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess there's a line there, obviously, but but you can you can be like this guy's a fucking bum. You know, I've never spit on a wrestler, but I've been spit on by wrestlers <laughs> yeah, before. I, so I heard about that. Yeah, geez, God. several times, in fact. Man, if you're getting worked by the fans, that's that's bad. Fucking you, Jimmy Jacobs spit on me. Man, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you had like a beef with Jimmy Jacobs, uh-huh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, he didn't like me. I like his promos. I think he's okay. Yeah, I think he's a little full of himself. 
Yeah, it's it's always man. Here's the thing. Uh, I mean, I guess you kind of have to be in this business too, though. You, you kinda, don't. You don't. Here's the th- here's well, the PSA. I don't know, man. You got to sell yourself, and yeah. so you well, have yeah, to have but that. just understand that it's like a, you know, it's I don't know. Like I, I actually I get in trouble for like turning it on sometimes. Like I've I've been in situations where like I'm turning it on and like my friends are like, "Don't turn it on. Be real." And I'm like, "I can't. I don't know how." Um, but uh, yeah, don't love the gimmick. Don't love the gimmick, guys. PSA. Don't love the fucking gimmick. Um, I promise it's 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 better for everyone. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, especially if you're a heel. You know what I mean? I I made the mistake when I was when I was first figuring out how to be a, a character. I would like go to parties and I would like punish people um, and act like a snide little asshole. And I was like, yeah, this is kind of like research for my character. And then I remember someone told me, you know, hey, uh, you know, waffles. Let's get a let's get a photo up with this dog real quick. Speaking of living the gimmick, this dog, this dog is waffles. Living. Yeah, like I said, waffles is our co-pilot. Anyway, Absolutely. continue. Sorry. Yeah, I would waffles. Have... Waffles needs to be acknowledged in this situation uh, because she is a huge part of the fireside vibe. God bless you her. You need the hound sitting by the fi- the fire. She's noble as fuck. She's great. But um, <laughs> yeah, I I literally was uh I would I was like I was like turning into Dan the man socially. You know, in, in limited circumstances at parties and stuff. Um, and uh, and I remember I, I did a nice turn by uh, Jared, one of the, the co-founders of PWR. Just did something nice and considerate. I forget what it was. Um, and Jared was like, you know, you're not, you know, you're, you actually aren't, a, you aren't a bad guy. And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, that's baseline how I see myself. Oh, wait a minute. I come off as a huge prick. Oh, no. This is a problem. <laughs> And that was that was my, my little lesson, like you know, six months into the biz, um, as a backyarder, uh, to uh, to fucking tone it down and, and try to just be a normal person when the when the cameras are off. I feel like we need to jump back a bit in time, mm. because the fact that okay, so I need to touch on on my ignorance regarding who you are as a human being. What were you into as a kid? Boy, um. Because you weren't into wrestling, which yeah. is not, you don't not do typical. that. A lot of people, they say, it started when I was a kid. So, like, what, what were you like as a kid? Here is, here, this is actually some heel shit, okay? I'm gonna, this is, this is me uh, inflaming the, the anger of, of wrestling fans and wrestlers that are listening to this. Um, when I was a kid, I thought that wrestling was kind of lowbrow. Um, I, like, watched, I, I loved uh, The Rock and, and Mankind. That was like the era that I was like I saw some some of, but like every time it wasn't The Rock or Mankind or The Rock and Sock connection, it was some goddamn redneck bullshit, man. It was like, NASCAR to you. It was NASCAR. It was Jerry Springer, you know. And I, as a, like a discerning eight year old or whatever, I was like, you know, too highbrow. Uh, too highbrow. I was too it. highbrow. I was like, you know, I better, you know, why am I watching this when I could be playing Final Fantasy VII, you know. For me, the masculine ideal was Cloud Strife, a stringy, effeminate uh, anime <laughs> boy with spiky hair and a huge sword. Stone Cold Steve Austin was like somebody's fucking uncle who hit them or whatever the fuck. <laughs> I was like, get me away from the shit. You know, I, I grew up in Austin. Um, and uh, I think I, on, the, on the measure, I am essentially the median, most typical Austin hipster of all time. And, you know... Really? I, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I... Um, Oh, I, th- I think my, my headphones just cut out or something. Yep, hold on. Oh, they're back. Okay. You okay? Yeah. 
Okay. Sorry, should we should we retake that or something? No, you're good. It's it's still recording. Okay, great. Um, yeah. So, uh, I think that essentially I'm a very typical Austin hipster. I grew up here in Austin. Um, I went to UT. For I, what? Uh, English. Oh, okay. Um, however, I dropped out. How's that working out for you? <laughs> Not great. <laughs> you're Sorry. a writer. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, am. <laughs> my my dad's a writer. He he has he's published several novels. What and, what has he written? I gotta hear this. Okay, yeah. Uh, if you look up Thomas Ziggle, um, he's written a number of like thrillers and mysteries and stuff. Oh wow! And I can I can pass you a list. Ziggle. Yeah, Z I G A L. This is his actual name. So to Ziggler is so not you're, far. You're the Ziggler. Yeah, okay. Danzig. That was my nickname in middle school. Um, <laughs> sweet nickname. Yeah. Um, shout out to to Glenn Danzig. So your pop is a writer. Yeah, he's a writer. Um, my mom is a was a curator of, of contemporary art. So I was I was immersed in like literature and like contemporary art, which is totally gonzo and nuts. Um, and it was you know it's kind of this like. I don't know, middle class Austin, you know, petite bourgeoisie kind of fucking uh, deal that I grew up in. You read a lot of Tolkien or whatever. Thought that wrestling was fucking lowbrow and for rednecks. Um, however, as an adult, I've come around on that um, because you know what goes into it. Yeah, and I yeah I so so you know I I I fucking I was a so, all right. Let me set the stage for you, okay. Here's here's me. I'm in my 20s. I'm a college dropout. Uh, you know, career prospects not great to be honest. Uh, <laughs> feeling like I want to be an artist, but I have no talent and no discipline, uh, which are which are both important. Very, <laughs> um, very. I have I have no discipline to like finish a short story. Can't draw. Can't play an instrument. Uh, seem to have this weird anti-charisma where I'm very capable at making people dislike me. But in normal civilian life, that's just what we call having a problem and not necessarily an asset. Um, and so I was just trying to figure out, like, what can I do, you know, to just to, to be an artist or whatever. And so I wanted, I, I figured out I wanted to do performance art. Uh, and I was like, I just need to figure out how to be a performance artist, which, of course is like a really weird, fucked up, made up thing to do. Um, and that brings me to uh, my friend Rory, Rory Blank, who uh, is a, a local comic artist. Um, we were, I love Rory, by you, the way. You know him, yeah. Uh, I, I, Rory, the first time I met or started interacting with Rory, I thought he was the most pompous piece of shit ever. <laughs> and I just think I misread him. Yeah, um, but well, I he's here's the thing though he is a huge punisher he will <laughs> he will intentionally uh, fucking fuck with and befuddle people for his own enjoyment absolutely I definitely think you might have been doing that to me a little bit totally he um, absolutely was this is what happened when I first I'm just gonna break break in just briefly sure yeah someone recommended Rory to work with me on a project artistically uh-huh and I hit him up and told him his stuff was great and I wanted to maybe do something with him uh-huh seconds later he posted on Facebook I'm so sick of people coming and talking to me about my artwork and asking to work with me <laughs> I wish I could just be an artist and not have people bug me and I was just like you motherfucker yeah that's that's yeah that's pretty but, impolite yeah but it was <laughs> literally within seconds of me actually approaching him. And so I was like, oh, yeah, there's no way that there are eight other dudes hitting you up right now. So this is specifically about me, you know. Brutal. <clears throat> but after that, I used to see Rory at our shows. I've mm -hmm. interacted with him, you know. 
Which reminds me, I should really just hit Rory up because I haven't talked to him in a while. But that guy's a great artist, great, yeah, funny dude. He's doing great too. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah, he's, his his arts, his his comics are really picked up. Um, I'm wearing his T-shirt as we speak. I need that yeah. shirt. Yeah, I tried a lot and it sucked on a tombstone. You need to get me one of those. I uh, hook me up. I I you talk to him. You know him. Uh, I I can you can hook yourself up better than I can. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah. So I hope there's not fallout there. No, God, no. Actually, you know what? Yeah, me and Rory are cool as far as I can tell. Okay. Uh, our method of communicating with each other is so bizarre that it's impossible to read any kind of intention or uh, into it whatsoever. He's, a, he's an amazing human and somebody that I really like. So Absolutely. Hopefully he hears this. Yes. Uh, if he, needs, he needs more praise. I shout think. out to Rory if you're listening to this one. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Um, <laughs> anyway, back to how but, so, you wound up so in this bizarre... I, I knew Rory from... Uh, you know, hanging out at the vegan co-op that I used to live at. You fucking douche. <laughs> when I say typical Austin <laughs> hipster, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was always getting into these fucking weird little, like, fucking adventures and, and like, bizarre performance catastrophes that he would make for himself. Where, like, man, out on campus there was this, like, weird fucked up preacher that would show up and that would just probably rail against the gays or whatever the fuck he was on about. It's one of those things where you just have a soapbox and you talk about Armageddon and it's some kind of Republican nonsense. Who knows? Anyway, Rory would like put on like a gimp mask and like stand next to this guy and whip himself and basically proselytize for (laughs) Satan um, and just try to like compete with this guy, you know? And uh, he would do stuff like that. And he would invite me along sometimes. Um, So we had one bit that we did where we went on to the drag and he was Danger Dave the stunt mime, and it was a combination of Evil Knievel and Mime, which is to say he did dangerous stunts, but all through Mime. Um, That's brilliant. Yeah, and so he would just basically fall over and hurt himself uh, on in the street, <laughs> and I was like this carnival barker with a megaphone who would like call people in to watch the miracle of Danger Dave, and I would narrate what he's doing, and like it would get absurd because he'd like he'd like jump a motorcycle over like a canyon, but he'd like wipe out. And catch on fire, and then I pull out an invisible fire extinguisher and put him out. Um, and like, by the way, nobody liked any of this or gave a shit about it. And like, people would just be like, "Oh, weird," and then just like walk past. Um, and that was. Pretty I would have been a huge fan of this. In fact, I want this in my company. <laughs> Dude, we, yeah. I, well, Danger Dave, look, he's he's available for bookings. I'm just okay. saying. Okay. Um, but uh. Yeah, so anyway, we just do these weird fucking things. And uh, so one of the things that we, we came across, and this is where my wrestling career begins, is at a club, a local club that you might know, Max, called The Chain Drive. Oh, I do. You know The Chain Drive? I R.I.P., do. I think they're out of business now. Yeah, I know. Um, but The Chain Drive is this, like, leather gay bar where, like, dudes wear harnesses and shit. Um, but uh, as part of the typical Austin, you know, ecosystem, there were also a bunch of gentrifying hipsters that would come in once a month to put on like their show. Just, uh, just uh, I gotta break away. Sure. Something weird about me, I gotta admit. Uh huh. I'm a heterosexual. Okay. I have children. Hmm. For some reason, women don't really like me. They don't find me attractive. For you know, I'm sure there are various reasons, whatever. But the gay men <laughs> love me. Yeah. They love me. Fair enough. So is it that is it that fucking sick like uh, stash stash or no? Even before I had the stash, like yeah. gay men really like me. Hmm. So I have an, a connection, an affinity 
Toward gay people. The gays love me. They do. Yeah, that's cool. Honestly. They're like Larry I, David, yeah. It's true. They do. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in New York City, living there, uh-huh. I was sleeping on park benches and in tenements, and then this guy was just like, anybody need a roommate? And everybody pointed at me. Turned out the guy used to dance for Sammy Kahn. Huh. And I wound up being roommates with that guy, and he was, he was a... Uh, he was a very uh, social gay person who dragged me out to clubs. Oh, man. Wow. And that, that community really embraced me. I bet that was a lot of fun. It was. I prefer gay clubs to like traditional straight clubs only because as a non-gay man, I'll go there. The music is fucking killer. <laughs> sure. But also, there's no pressure about performing socially when you're in one of those environments, especially as a heterosexual man. Huh, you don't yeah. have to worry about any, like, you're not there to do anything other than just have fucking fun. Yeah, I hear so, you. So, uh, yes, I am familiar with the chain drive, and I've <laughs> always, back patio is killer there. Dude, well, that's where the, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, yeah, the, the original uh, location of the chain drive, back when it was by, like, the creek or whatever, um, they later went to Rainy Street, and I think they that's where they made their last stand. But um, anyway, so it was this, it's this like leather gay bar where you're like dudes are wearing harnesses and shit. But like uh, every first Thursday, there was a show called Thirst Thursday, which I was, I think, just like arty college kids, you know, of all sexualities and stripes coming and listening to like, like, you know, local shows and bands and stuff. I, I was a fan of this band, Attic Ted. And oh. you know where they wore the like the paper mache. Grady Roper, things. man, that guy. Grady, yeah. Grady Grady's a genius. Yeah, yeah. That, that band, first of all, sonically amazing. Yeah. But for those of you who don't know, um, Addict Head was a band that was uh, that had a guy named Grady Roper at the centerpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the centerpiece of it, and he and they all wore these crazy masks that were essentially just made out of cardboard yeah they were like the size of like the jack-in-the-box head or whatever but they were like fucked up monsters and they used to give them to the audience yeah. and you would wear them as you like people, moshed around yeah i think uh he really brought his crowds to life by giving them this identity to hide behind yeah so you would see people in the crowd really losing themselves under these masks mm-hmm. uh grady is actually a really big inspiration for me if you know me you know that i built weird cardboard shit for my kids all the time yeah true yeah, yeah you're looking at the mausoleum yeah that I similar built. similar yeah. okay i see it now i see so, the dna yeah uh grady uh the first of all just the potential of him you know making these incredible pieces of art out of cardboard mm-hmm. i think it's always to me the most exciting thing about Stuff like that is like not, it's the it's the adage about how it's not the it's not about the the size of the dog in the fight, but about the size of the fight in the dog. Sure. I love making something out of nothing. Yeah. So. Oh man, yeah. I mean, that's DIY. That's the. Oh yeah. That's the ethos. But uh, yeah. So you know that band was would play there and like other bands, and so I was like into it. And they had this thing that was like after like midnight or whatever. Once all the bands were done. There was this weird slap and tickle wrestling thing that would happen <laughs> where this uh, dominatrix uh, chick would like take, she would like sign people up and you would get on what is essentially like a yoga mat in the middle of the club and you would have like a weird little wrestling fight. And it was kind of like horny and like people would do it basically to flirt with their friends where they just kind of grapple with somebody you were interested with or your friend or your whatever. Um, and like the dominatrix would like spank people as they were like on the ground and stuff. And it was this like weird little slap and tickle thing. Um, I had the idea to try to subvert that by signing up for it and taking it way too seriously. So me and Rory would sign up. I would come in in a, in a ski mask and I would fucking take the microphone from the dominatrix and I would cut a promo. 
And I'd be like, you fucking degenerates. You make me sick. I'm the strongest man here. Ain't nobody can whip this this ass. And, like, just do it like pro wrestling, which was completely counter to, like, the spirit of everything they were doing. How did people react? They were, like, they would either thought it was hilarious or they were, like, rolling their eyes, like, wow, this guy's wasting our time. To me, that's a great reaction. And both well, of them are. Yeah. And, uh, and then, like, Rory would come out in, like, a lucha mask, and we'd have, like, a shitty little match. And, like, the prize was a Burger King crown, cardboard Burger King crown, and we'd keep, like, hot-shotting the title back and forth between <laughs> us. So it was this kind of, like, punishing, horrible, stupid thing that was just, like, a little cyst grown on the ass of this other thing where, like, two guys didn't get it really aggressively in front of a group of people. And that was that was just some little stunt that I would do on a semi-monthly basis. And from that... I just got a taste of it. I got a taste of it. And then from that, Chris By God Monica, uh, who you may also know as Luigi Primo, of all people, heard about me and Rory, and was trying to put together a little show called Party World Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, which was going to be in a backyard um, on some yoga mats. And for some reason, they could not find enough people that agree to be wrestlers for that. But they knew that me and Rory were down for, for stupid shit. And so he, like, came, he, like, recruited us, basically. Like, we had, like, mutual friends, and he showed up, like, at a movie night, you know, at somebody's house. And I met this guy, Chris Monica, and uh, he like pitched me on this thing, and I was like, "Yeah, hell yeah, man, sign me up!" And so that's how it started for me. I started as a backyard wrestler for PWR because that's what it was. It was a goddamn backyard wrestling show. So when did your affinity or respect for professional wrestling as an art form begin? Yeah. Okay. So uh, every it was you know yeah I, I think it's fair to say that like I was a total outsider to wrestling going in. Um, again, my only memories from childhood were like, yeah, I don't really like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, I don't like any of this redneck bullshit. Um, but, uh, you Do know. Do you see the genius in it now? Do you? Yeah, you totally. Okay. Totally. Yeah. Um, Steve isn't my favorite by any means. I still love The Rock. But, and he, was a, but he was a great promo with yeah. incredible charisma. Yeah, the promos are so great. And the fucking, just the angle with Vince McMahon was like all time. Um, but, uh. Yeah, so, you know, we were backyard wrestlers. Everything we did sucked. It was in front of, like, tiny crowds, but we really enjoyed ourselves. And we kept going, and we kept trying to make it bigger and better. Um, and we kept doing backyard shows. Uh, and so less than a year in, um, you know, I, I decided, for, for whatever reason, I had, like, pride in, in my performance, you know? And these were, like, dire fucking backyard wrestling, like, shit shows that were basically just, like, sort of aggravated grab ass essentially and we actually it's you know they're, they're actually on video you can watch these matches and uh they're on kind YouTube? of youtube yeah i think they're on youtube um you can watch the first couple of uh you can't see the first one which was like insanely bad uh the the number one and number number two and three uh slam Hane and winter wonder slam um, great names once again yeah are on uh are on youtube I th i'm pretty sure there's like a super cut um and they're pretty sweet just as like a spectacle you know, but the wrestling is, like, not there at all. Yeah. Um, because we're untrained backyard, like, you know, yard bards, backyardigans, you might say. <laughs> um, and, like, you know, we're just, we're bumping on, like, we don't know how to bump. No one had taught us how to bump. So we were just making it up on uh, what was essentially mattresses with plywood on top of the mattresses. Wow. Brutal shit. That's horrible. It was horrifying. I can't believe no one got hurt. Um but, like, I, I took pride in my shit. Like, I remember the first show, 
Like, 50 people were there. You know, it was just basically like a house party. Better than most uh, actual promotions. Sometimes. Unpaid, though, of course. And and BYOB. I think we actually we tried to bribe people by having beer there. Like, we'd have a keg and be like, please I think come I, I think I remember this. I think, because I, mean, I, I remember there was another quote-unquote promotion that started doing something that was a little similar. But really? uh, it was at that um, Cold Town Theater. Oh, yeah, there, that's true. Like, some yeah. sketch or improv people yeah. did. I hated that fucking... I remember hearing about that I and being interested, people. but I never... Yeah. Um, that guy was... That guy, that guy for some reason, lured me out and yeah. then just didn't... He was like, hey, I really want you to come check this out. And I'm like, okay. And I did, and then, like, he didn't really seem to want to talk to me. He acted like he didn't know who the fuck I was. I'm oh, that's like, weird. okay, why am I here? And I thought, you know, it was whatever. It was fine, you know, but... Yeah, there was something about the attitude of those people that put me off. I remember at the time I wanted to like hook up with those people and learn from them and shit. We were like so without a pot to piss in in terms of knowing what wrestling was. I was like watching YouTube tutorials of like you know. That's kind of amazing though. Oh God, it's so bleak. Uh, You know, I'm I'm saying this. uh, I know that like other wrestlers start out in the backyard. There's like amazing wrestlers that have started out in the backyard. Yeah, Matt Cross. Matt Cross was a backyarder. Yeah, there's like a million like former backyarders. So he's like like one of the best in the world, I think. Yeah, he's incredible. Yeah. Um. So we're we're connected in that way. Yeah. Uh, But uh. But like our shit was like even worse than the worst backyard shit you've seen. Um. And uh. God, so we were, I was, I was like, but, but after this 50 person show, I remember uh, the main event was me and Rick Potashio. Oh man. A friend of yours. Yeah, I know and, Rick. And a member of the scene. Rick was the only guy that wrestled without a name. He just wrestled as Rick Potashio, <laughs> And he like took delight in blurring, speaking of living the gimmick, he like blurred the line to where the gimmick was Rick Potashio, real actual guy that you can see at parties or whatever is like got a screw loose and has decided to just start hurting people um and i guess he's in this wrestling show now and so that was like his gimmick uh he, he didn't have a gimmick um and me and rick had a barn burner for that first show i remember i did a backbreaker to him which was i think the first wrestling move anyone had ever seen mm-hmm. in that crowd um potassio is interesting though because he definitely has a really ardent enthusiasm for yeah. pro wrestling. He is encyclopedic. He was the so, guy that that really understood it in a weird way. I think he, he even trained for a little bit somewhere. Really? I, yeah. I didn't know that. I think he did. I think he had some training somewhere. Dude, it was insane. We were all just fucking shitless hobos when it came to the art of wrestling. But like, I was like, I met this guy like at the backyard like an hour before the show starts. And he's like, yeah, so let's uh, call the match. And I'm like, yeah, call the match. That's what people do. I'll call the match with you. And he's like, yeah, so I'm thinking, uh, can you take an enziguri? And I'm like, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) And and he's like, yeah, it's kind of like a flying kick. And he tried to like, he did like a little shitty jump kick to like demonstrate it. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And he's like, yeah, and I basically hit like the back of your head. And I'm like, that seems unsafe. Let's not do that. The big spot was that he had me in a headlock and was giving me a noogie. And I picked him up and gave him a backbreaker. It was a, there was a reversal. It was an actual reversal wow. into a power move. Were y'all sober when you did this? No. Okay. That <laughs> helps a lot. Everyone was super drunk, myself included. Um, you know a- you know, a lot of drunk drivers survive their accidents because they're loosey-goosey, right? So you were okay. If you guys had that been sober, you might, have, you might have been really badly injured. Good point. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing we were drunk. We were as drunk as we were. Um, and, uh, yeah, God, what a, what a shit show. But, um, but, like, after the show, like, two guys were talking, and they're like, yeah, that show was a... Uh, pretty bad compared to regular wrestling but i thought the the main was actually kind of decent and i was like oh. 
somebody likes me. <laughs> <laughs> and and that like lit the fire and from then on I was like, I'm gonna be the best backyard shitty wrestler of all time. And like I really tried. I like fucking watched the YouTube tutorials. How the, how the hell did you end up inspired? <laughs> Good. No, no, you no. let me in, you fool. No, no, I mean like I mean what brought you to our door? Okay, so yeah, along those lines I was like, okay, the next step is to watch live indie wrestling and see how the pros do it. Yeah. Um so like 2015, early 2015, uh, the I went to, I think Ecstasy of Gold two ish, which had which had Chris Hero and uh, Ray Rowe in a match. I think so. I don't remember that match, which is kind of fucked up. Yeah. I, I you know the guys who stood out to me were that like that you know stood out to me the most were uh, Ricky Starks, Jojo Bravo, ACH, uh, Steve Arena, yeah, Matt Palmer, Andy Dalton. That was like to me; those guys were like my role models. Um, what was your response to like seeing that show? Like, what was your initial impression? Because it's, it's so interesting that there are some people who come to our shows and it's the first exposure to wrestling yeah. that they have yeah. ever. And it to me, it like blows my mind. Oh, dude, it blew me away. And it's like uh, compared to like TV wrestling or whatever, which I'd seen, like live wrestling is like incredible. It's way more yeah. communal. Yeah, it's it, uh, you really feel like you're a part of this giant mass of rabble. Yeah, and you get to like really, it's it's like. It's like really kind of being in love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is it is like one of those kind of like sympathetic heart reactions. Yeah. You know, one of those. It, it's it, So I was blown away. Um, the level of like ability that all the wrestlers had, I've never seen before in front of, uh, you know, watching like Matthew Palmer dive over the top into an elbow drop. <laughs> dude, that move blew my mind. Um, and like later I like went up to him and was like, how'd you do that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I remember the, the, the three shows that like really keyed it in for me was I went to see Inspire, I went to see ACW and I saw Wrestle Kingdom 9. Wow. Um, yeah. Wrestle Kingdom 9, uh, specifically Shinsuke Nakamura versus Kota Ibushi. Oh, that was a great match. Like that was the match where I was like, I don't even speak the language, but I understand everything that's happening here. There's so much emotion and drama and physicality and, uh, this is clearly an art form. You can, yeah, you cannot see that match and not walk away going, "Oh my god, this yeah. is this is this is high art." It was such a fun puzzle piece experience to watch Wrestle Kingdom Nine and just figure out what the fuck. Like every every gimmick is crazy. The Rainmaker, like Ishii comes out and like it just says Stone Pitbull bite you. You know, Taguchi <laughs> comes out and has like written on his ass. It just says Funky Weapon, like. There's there's also like a cultural exchange thing here where I'm like wow like all these like slogans and gimmicks that are like slightly off English are like amazing but they're just, even if they're off they're just like distilled to the essence that is yeah. so pure that it is funky the, weapon the utmost correct yeah funky weapon is the utmost correct way to state that I think it's, yeah it, I feel like they cut through the bullshit exactly you know it actually it it does actually explain itself way better you know? yeah definitely um and the wrestling speaks for itself and I was like oh wait a minute like wrestling has its own vocabulary and you know its own like traditions and forms and stuff and you can use those things you can recombine them you can remix them like there's so much potential here this is like a big blank canvas that you can fucking Absolutely. paint your masterpiece on um almost literally yeah and then there's inspire and there's acw acw super raw like fucking you're you're like at the mohawk out, outside freezing my ass off watching dudes bleed and stuff inspire pro to me was like the the classier 
side of that. You got to me. You guys kind of like had a complete sort of weird diet for me, where it was like two sides of wrestling. You know, ACW was kind of the carny bullshit yeah. side, and then Inspire was like, oh shit, this this like has a writer. Somebody's writing storylines here. Um, you know, um, and bringing in names and stuff. And uh, but anyway, um, so that's that's when I realized that the shit was real and I should take it seriously. Um, Soon after that, we got a wrestling ring and a venue, and were able to do wrestling in a ring indoors, which was a huge step up yeah. for us. I mean, you could, that that company really grew exponentially. Yeah, we did. It was like viral. Let me drop some numbers on you to put myself over, okay? We the first show was was fifty people. Um, by the time we got to Fourth Tap, uh, we were like maybe two years in, and we were up to like eight hundred people. Yeah. Okay. And now this is where I put myself over. Because I really do need to put this out here. For all the promoters that are listening here, uh, I became champion of that company where they were, when there were 800 fans. Yeah. I was champion for a little over a year. Uh, and the show where I dropped the belt, we had 1,600 fans. I know. So, I, I remember at one point you guys had around 2,000 people in that space. Yeah. And there were all these people who were on wrestling, like, you know, who were who, like promoters, like the old guard were like, there's no way this is real. Yeah, it sounds like, made up. Yeah, it's like uh, it, they've redefined the they've redefined the model. Mm -hmm. So yes, this is what they're doing. Uh, it's different than what you know we do. You know, and a lot of people it's weird. We actually had people hold us to the hold our feet to the coal. Oh yeah. When you guys were like performing on that level, they're like, "Oh, why are these guys doing this and you're not doing this?" And I'd say, well, the models are very different. I mean, know? we, we um, came from a total outside perspective. So, like, anything we figured out, we had to make up, yeah. basically. Or we were imitating from something, you know? Um, Absolutely. Which but I, but I, also, yeah. I think, like, we, the way that we kind of market and sell our show was very different. And you guys were so creative about how you did it, yeah. you know? And the way that y'all made the money and how it worked out just was very different. And I, I, I was endlessly impressed by you, but I was always going. People would go... This is a lie, and I'm like, no, this is actually really happening. Yeah, we, we actually had people with a fucking clicker taking mm -hmm. attendance as people came in. I swear to God, yeah, we, you know, uh, I don't know what's gonna be, you know, PWR's future after the pandemic and stuff, but like, we were consistently getting over two thousand uh, for the last like year of our last run, so to speak. And uh, yeah, I just want to say that when I was champion, I definitely added eight hundred people and or highest, doubled it. Highest drawing champion in, in PWR history. Just throwing that out there, oh, and it kept growing after I I stepped down. Yeah. Um, or not stepped down. I dropped the belt. I yeah. put someone over, and then that person was a fucking superhero. You know, my mentality was always put. You know, the heel's job is to get the face over. You know. Yeah. Because hatred is easy, Max, but love is difficult. You know. And, uh, that's true. So the, the, the idea is it's easy to get you to hate this guy. It's hard to get someone to really commit to love someone. So I'm just the tool to, to help make that you, happen for someone you else. You are the latter. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, yeah, I'm, that's, that's my one like statistics brag thing. Obviously, it wasn't me single-handedly at all. It was a huge group effort. Absolutely. But I'm just saying, it was I, a great, I was the main. You and had a really great creative community behind it. So yeah, yeah I mean, I got it. about it. It's really just an incredible pool of talent. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and you know what, that 1600 was during South By, a week later, Wrestle Circus ran, also 1600, 
so we tied true, them. <laughs> they might have came. I, I believe it because they actually they they, know, they had a different venue. It was no admission. It was it was free. The main event is the weirdest fucking Wrestle Circus style fucking spot fest or not spot fest, but just like weird fantasy booking thing of all time. Matt Riddle versus Broken Matt Hardy was the main event. Yeah, <laughs> can you imagine? Um, so I, I do like to tell people that like I fucking tied with Matt Hardy and Matt Riddle. Um, I'm gonna have to look at that number. Sixteen hundred. That's what they claimed. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's got to be some promoter math. I think they. It could be. I mean, I think they actually rented out like emos or some shit. It was yeah. like a different venue. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're for correct. South by, you're yeah. Correct. For, you know what? For South by, it might have been that because there were a lot of people in town for that. I'm telling you. So yeah, when they were like the the great thing about Wrestle Circus, bless their hearts, nice people as you say, nothing against them. Um, is they would often brag about like being the first this or the first that, and it was like always we had done that. It's because that guy that was like kind of in their office was a total dickhead and blowhard. I hated that guy. Condron, Kevin Condron. Uh huh. That guy was a psycho. Yeah, I yeah uh, I was I was I did ring crew for them a lot. And, oh. uh, I'm yeah. Not a fan of his. He's got a shitty attitude. Oh, he was a huge prick. Talk it, down to people a lot. Okay. So. One, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're moving toward. The uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. I want to thank you for being here. Hey, thanks. I do want to ask you one thing. Sure. You can ask me one question to close the show out. One question. And it can be as controversial as you want. I'll answer absolutely on the level. <laughs> so ask me any question you want. Any question? Jeez, I should have fucking thought about this. You want me to pause for a minute? Yeah, please do. Okay, you told me, Max, that... I could ask you any question. Mm-hmm. You realize you're giving me a lot of power here. That's how we roll. Okay, all right. Well, uh, I guess uh, if we could actually cover some business for once on this podcast and maybe try to get something done for the, the show that you run, uh, maybe you could answer the question of when will Roxy Castillo pay for the crimes that she has committed consistently? Ever since I walked in the door at Inspire Pro. Crimes? What crimes? Crimes, uh, slandering. Uh, she's physically assaulted me many times. And I, and your, your camera guys get it and they put it on the highlight reel. She'll smack the sunglasses off my face. Those sunglasses are not easy to, you know, to make that Amazon order. Those things in bulk are like seven bucks a pop. How many, how many pairs of sunglasses has she, uh, has she knocked off your face? She's ruined at least two. And I feel like she's disrespected at least three you think this is funny so you're asking you're yeah i do actually so you're asking for a match against roxy castillo i would not say no to a match i just think that there how did that work out for you that last uh that last episode you and will all day uh, she pulled my hair i mean she's a cheater what hair i had a mullet back then oh okay <laughs> yeah I mean, a pretty nice one until, you know, obviously Roxy got her mitts on them. So you're saying you want a match with Roxy Castillo? I think that someone should make her pay. And if that involves a match between me and her, I'm not going to say no. I've been in training. I've been, I've been banging and clanging like The Rock every day, just getting ready, turning my body into an engine of hatred and retribution. All right. Uh, just saying. Hmm. You see something me, there? Yeah, I think I do. I think I, I see something uh, something we could take advantage of, something that's good for business. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I was just talking about how good for business I am. You Look, are. I mean, I think it would it'd be a pretty, uh, I think it would be a pretty, uh, you know, short stretch between me uh, disciplining Roxy and then pretty soon Dan Champion. Any stipulations? Stipulations. 
Hmm. Well, I mean, there's been a big problem with interference. You know, she's got her goons always at her side. Um, but then again, I've got my goons. Hmm. I've got it. Why don't we do a lumberjack match? A lumberjack match? You bring yours, she brings hers. Like an axe? Yeah. No. Come on. What? <laughs> I, I'm sorry, you're going to have to explain what a lumberjack match is to me. So it's the one where we, we all wear, like, toques and, and fucking flannel. No, no. You get in the ring, she gets in the ring, your guy's on the outside, her guy's on the outside, they huh. keep you guys in the ring, and they keep the other guys out of the ring. Gotcha. They police themselves. Yeah, I mean... I feel like there's nothing... I think you've got some Googling to do. What could go wrong? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it seems like a pretty self, self-explanatory, self self-contained, logical system. You know, obviously. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure my people outnumber her people at this point. Hmm. So you're saying that Roxy has to uh, get to work? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, she, she... I hope... I mean, I don't think she could. I mean, honestly, who, who in this business will pick up a call from Roxy Castillo? Whereas the name of Dan the Man... It's gold. Well, let's just see who Roxy dials up. And let's do this lumberjack match. And let's see who Roxy can bring to her stable to even out the numbers. I mean, it doesn't matter. They obviously can't beat the cool. Well, then you just don't have to worry about a damn thing. I'm... Wait a minute. All right. You know what, folks? I'm going to call it a day and let Dan the Man stammer over here. Ha- hold wait. on. Wait. Uh, no. I don't know if... No, it's we- happening. Well, let me, no, let me think about it. No, no, it's happening. Good night, folks. Uh.